with the first pick. Welcome back to the Draft on Daft podcast. We've got a locked and loaded episode today. We just got through the semis of the college football playoffs. Two excellent games. Uh, we've got an interview with Jordan Reid of ESPN. Uh, we're going to be talking some wide receiver rankings. Uh, so just a, a loaded, loaded episode today. But before uh, we go any further, I have to bring in my co-host. I can't do this alone. So Devin, you were at the Peach Bowl. How are you feeling today? Oh, man, I'm feeling pretty good. Like you said, interview with Jordan Reed. Uh, I will definitely say it, it's it's one of the best uh, that, that you could ask for. But otherwise, I'm doing good. A lot of travel uh, in, in the month of December, especially towards the end of December. Um, but the Peach Bowl was amazing. I mean, you, you couldn't ask for a better game. Uh, tons of NFL prospects on the field. The hospitality was great in inside the press box. Really, the press box itself was was an amazing view. It felt like you were looking into the field, you know, just from a higher elevation. But the stadium is is great. Uh, it was a really a great atmosphere for that game. Um, and it really was energized by that first semifinal game because they were playing on the big screen. And obviously, how State fans there saw Michigan's demise a little bit. So it, it was a good way to get it started. And obviously, fireworks at the end of the game with uh, a missed field goal from Ohio State for Georgia to hold on to win and a race of 14-point deficit. So, I mean, really, it, w- it was a, it was an amazing game. And, and like I said, I mean, it really gets you in into that draft mode because it, it just felt like you were watching two teams that are, I won't say NFL teams, but a lot, but engineered by, by some NFL talent in the field. It was, it was truly an amazing game. Yeah, I mean, both there are three three offensive tackles that are probably top five, all, all five, all three of them top five offensive tackles. Uh, perhaps uh, one of the better quarterbacks in the draft. Uh, again, all over the place. Uh, and as a resident of Columbus, Ohio, and somebody who's rooted for Ohio State my whole life, like what it was, it was heartbreaking. Just heartbreaking. Uh, I mean, it was an unbelievable game, an instant classic. But to see that fourteen point deficit get get erased by the mailman was was <laughs> demoralizing man and to go from that that fourth and whatever where that field goal on the the reverse targeting targeting call that would have been first and goal at the one is just like that that hurts it hurts um but you know what hats off to georgia they they did it um tcu game also a lot of fun a lot of fun uh, but now we have a, a scene set. Sonny Dykes in his first career, uh, first first season at TCU, facing off against the Georgia Bulldogs for a national title in his first season in the job, which is an unbelievable talking point to even like say that out loud. It's like a, a NCAA fourteen dynasty, you know, where you, you're like coaching UMass to uh, just trying to run out of the clock against a, a ninety nine overall team in the finals, but. Uh, Congrats to Sonny Dykes. And, and so what, what are you kind of looking forward to about that matchup between Georgia and, and TCU? Contrasting styles is the first thing that I can think of. You got Georgia, they're a machine, essentially. You got NFL guys all over the field. And, you know, as, as much as Stetson Bennett has uh, kind of, I, I don't want to necessarily said led, but, you know, has really played uh, at, at a pretty high level. He didn't play that well through three quarters against Ohio State and really turned on a fourth quarter, but... Uh, kind of with him at the helm, it, it's like I said, it's almost a machine. And you're going against TCU that is very emotionally driven. They're very, uh, it, I don't want to say boom or bust, but they rely on big plays. Like they run a very up style tempo offense, and and it really is predicated on them being able to run the football one and two, uh, have their outside playmakers make big plays. And uh, Quinn Quinn Johnston, who we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, it's going to be a big, big key in in kind of getting that going. Um, so to me, it's the contrasting styles and the physicality in in the line in the trenches. To me, is going to be the big, big uh, worry for me on TCU's end because Georgia. I mean, they played as well as they could have against Ohio State. And Ohio State was winning the point of attack on offense. They were moving them backwards in the run game. I don't know if TCU is going to get that same success. So I, I wonder like how, where are their big plays are going to come from? You know, it has to be Johnson mm-hmm. uh, making the big plays on the outside. 
uh, or some of their other receivers uh, or Max Duggan, uh, you know, making plays off script and off schedule. So that's, that's kind of my first impressions of the game. I think for me, it depends on how quickly can Georgia impose this will. Cause I feel like it's going to happen at some point again. I, I tend to agree. Ohio state TCU would have been a really fun game. It's really hard for me outside of like, there are a lot of really cool storylines. Like the Max Duggan storyline is top notch. Like that is peak college football, a guy losing his job, the starter getting hurt the first week of the season. And then him running off a Heisman campaign all the way to the national championship, tough as nails. Like it doesn't get any better than that, but like, from a strict football perspective, it's like, man, it, it's it's really hard for me to get excited about this because it, it just feels like on paper a game that Georgia's just going to completely dominate. Like, I, I don't I, I have a hard time seeing this going any other way than that. Uh, so that's kind of disappointing, but it is what it is. Uh, you know, we're, we're cooked all the way through bowl season now, too. And uh, again, this goes back to the Peach Bowl a little bit. Uh, but it also goes back to, to Alabama's bowl game against Kansas State, the Big 12 champions uh, who beat TCU, uh, where we can start talking a little bit about Bryce Young and, and C.J. Stroud again. You know, uh, going through the season, it's a, always a long season and uh, varying opinions flying off the wall over the place. But uh, again, Will Levis didn't play in a bowl game. Anthony Richardson didn't play in a bowl game. I get it. But now it finally feels like we're back to talking about Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. And personally, that's how I feel like it, it should have been the whole season. Even CJ Stroud has had his ups and downs. Bryce Young, his size is a concern. He takes a lot, a lot, a lot of really bad hits. But from a strict football perspective, I don't see how these guys are not quarterbacks one and two in some order. Uh, and they played like it in their bowl games, their respective bowl games. Yeah, to me, the best thing you can do as a quarterback prospect is leave, you know, with or your final game to be a statement game, you know, or, you know, kind of be a declaration game where, look, I'm league ready. And both of them left that, you know, like for me, like Will Levis and Anthony Richardson are very alluring uh, prospects and they have a lot of tools to work with. They have big arms, but look at their last games, it wasn't the the best performances by them. And I think, you know, sure, they may, one of them may get selected to have C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, but to me, the the best thing you can do as a quarterback prospect is is leave with, you know, just that, that game that you can look back and say, look, I did this, this, and this. The crazy thing about Stroud is he checked off a lot of the boxes that people were questioning him on. Can he create out a structure? He checked that emphatically, yes, against Georgia. He did several plays where he escaped Jalen Carter. He escaped some of the Georgia edge rushers and made plays downfield and made plays with his legs, another box he checks off. Um, and and he just played almost a perfect game. I mean, they're the really the only thing you could knock on this game is that, you know, they didn't put the ball in his hands to end the game, you know, on that last sequence of things. I know he had two incomplete passes, but on that first down, they had momentum. You let him keep rolling. I mean, he was dicing them up in that fourth quarter. It wasn't his fault they lost, you know? Like, he put them in position still to, to win the game. And you look at Bryce Young, he was putting – he put on the show, too. He had a struggling – he struggled in that first quarter uh, with some of the pressure that he was getting and, uh, you know, creating plays off script. But then uh, the second quarter and then especially the third quarter, uh, that throw he made on the rope, uh, down the sideline in that corner of the end zone. I think that was his statement as well. So they they left with probably as best of games you could uh, as a quarterback prospect, uh, play on the biggest stages, Sugar Bowl and the Peach Bowl. I mean, it's, it doesn't really get better than that. It doesn't at all. Uh, two of the better quarterback performances we've seen the entire season, both in the, from both of those guys. Uh, and I feel like it's just, it's just bringing the draft process full circle. Again, we're going to get the pro days and Will Levis and is going to make some crazy throws at his pro day, you know, the Zach Wilson throws, whatever. Uh, but that was, for me, it felt like the full circle moment, like, oh, it's really been Bryce and CJ this whole time. Like, and, and, and again, I've, I've charted the, the full season of all of these guys, all of the top five, including Hooker and that too. And it, it, and for me, it, it does just come down to it's, it's CJ Stroud and Bryce Young. You can make an argument to wait on Caleb Williams. You wouldn't get an argument out of me on that either. As far as 23, 2023 is concerned, man, the, what, what, a, what, a, what a way to end their, their college careers. And CJ hasn't officially declared 
Uh, none of the Ohio State guys have, except for Ronnie Hickman, who did before um, the bowl game. But uh, I tend to think that's probably coming down the pipe um, any day now. Um, but continuing towards our our prospect rankings, we said we were going to do corners. Uh, we pivoted a day after we said that. Uh, so we're going to do wide receivers. Again, last week we did tight ends. So if it's that, uh, it's Michael Mayer and the company. Uh, but go ahead and go back and listen to that episode. But but we're going to dive into our top five wide receivers. Uh, Devin, what are your thoughts on this class as a whole, though, before we dive into our top fives? The first thing that kind of comes to mind is not a lot of these guys are natural separators. A lot of these guys are kind of dependent on where they're aligned, their speed, you know, with two particular guys that come to mind, Johnston and Jalen Hyatt. Um, A lot of them, you know, can you know, make contested catches. They can, um, you know, have multiple alignments. They, they're schemed open uh, quite a bit, bit of them. Uh, some have natural hands, some let it get into their body. So it, it's really, a, a, a di- I would say a diverse class, but it's very slot heavy. Like a lot of the top guys are most, mostly uh, aligning out of the slot. Quinn Johnston is kind of the, the guy that's really mainly outside. Boutte was more of an outside guy. They moved him around a little bit at LSU this year, too. So you, you don't really have that true, like, guy like last year. You know, you had Olave and Garrett Wilson that were guys that they did play some slot, but they they were operated from the outside. And obviously, Drake London as well. Compared to this, this year, you have a lot more guys there depending on on those those slot reps. So I think it's, it's quite the dynamic. Uh, you look from last year's class to this year's. You still can get good players, but I feel like a lot of that sweet spot is going to be day two for sure in this class. Mm -hmm. I feel the same way. We had a really good run on wide receivers from even 2019, like 2019 through 2022, four years of like really good receiver classes. And, and who knows, you know, there's always going to be solid that come out of all these classes, but this, this class is just nowhere near any of the past four classes. So uh, I'm excited to talk about it a little bit Uh, before we, before we dive into top five, Two guys on your list, Devin, didn't make your top five, but deserve some honorable honorable mention shout out. Yeah, I got to give some love to Zay Flowers from Boston College. I like his game. I think he's very well-rounded as a receiver. Um, did a really nice job, despite some of the issues they had this year with a uh, healthy quarterback. Jakovic is not nearly the same player he was a couple seasons ago either. Uh, they just didn't have a very good team around him this year, but he still made plays, still was a deep threat. Um, he did a really nice job at the top of routes too. I thought that was a little bit of something that I wanted to see a little bit more of from him this year was stemming the top of the routes, finding ways to create that natural separation, the creativity too. Uh, so I, I really liked his game and, and thought he, you know, showed a really, uh, a lot of good things on tape. Uh, and then right at number six for me is Jalen Hyatt. Um, just barely missed on being my top five. I really like him. I, I I do like that he's a natural deep threat. He's going to probably be a first rounder just based off that speed and explosion. He can flip the field with that speed. Um, and I thought he broke down pretty nicely uh, on on those comeback routes, on those curl routes. But for me, I was I'm worried about a little bit of his size profile. How is he going to handle? Uh, you know when you know they press him. And then two, just the physicality with the ball in the air. I thought he could do a little bit better job discarding those hands, get those hands off of him while he's down the field and, and making adjustments with the ball in the air uh, and, and going vertical and not just like vertical to attack the football. Because like, obviously he has the speed to run under passes and you want to see the route tree obviously continue to develop. But I think there's tools in place for him to be a game break at the NFL level. I love it. I'm going to give a couple as well. I'm going to go to Jalen Hyatt teammate uh didn't crack my top five but Cedric Tillman can play uh Cedric Tillman honestly reminds me of a former Tennessee receiver who's playing for the Los Angeles Chargers right now he's got a lot of 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 Josh Palmer to his game kind of a bigger frame uh really massive catch radius he's got over 34 inch arms and he knows how to use it he plucks the football attacks the football out of the air uh, so I really like Cedric Tillman's game. He's not, again, he's 6'2", 215, so he's not the most elusive, most agile guy. He's not, Tennessee threw him some screens, but he's not going to command manufactured touches at the next level. But uh, just a really consistent wide receiver who I could see being a really nice wide receiver too for somebody. Uh, 
for 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 a while um some game um really physical dude really physical dude again there's only two or three receivers i feel confident saying you know they can press man uh cedric Tillman can be press man um he, he's not overly explosive but i think he strides it out well vertically as well uh knows how to stack knows how to track um so so he's going to create chunk plays level he's going to carve out at the next level um oh, excuse me and then uh, my next guy that that I'll shout out that that didn't again crack my top five, but but really appreciated their game and and feel like they deserve a, a quick shout out to Jonathan Mingo out of Old Miss, man. So Mingo was supposed to blow last year, got hurt, um, and again he he's in that Old Miss offense, so his route tree is really thin, but he's explosive linearly. Uh, he's kind of a denser dude as well, listed at six two two twenty. But man, I like his game. He's fast. Um, Wins vertically. Again, that's his front tree at Ole Miss, but um, he's a dude who I, I think can can beat up on dudes in the air. Um, he's going to be at the Senior Bowl, and I think he's going to come away really favorable at the Senior Bowl as well. So uh, Jonathan Mingo, I think, is, is he's probably I, – I think he's going to end up going dates. I'm not going to put it on that or anything like that, but uh, I really like Jonathan Mingo's tape. I expect it to. Um, so, so I'm going to give him a shot too. Yeah, Mingo Mingo's really good. Um and really enjoyed his game for sure. Um and getting to see Ole Miss a little bit closely this year. Uh just following with some of the Philly guys that are on that roster. Um Mingo's a good one and and also like you said, Tillman. Uh he's someone that I really liked over the summer. And uh getting to watch him with Hyatt, he probably is gonna crack my top ten receivers. Uh probably towards that that eight nine area, I would say where I just like him as a, a natural separator, like you say, can be press. Uh, but, but those are two good options. Um, and just one more. I want to, a few more. I want to mention uh, just as guys I like, but I don't think crack my top 10 uh, Trey Palmer from Nebraska. I, I like his game, mm-hmm. his vertical ability um, and, and really like what he was able to do in that Nebraska offense. Um, and then uh, Nathaniel Dell from Houston, uh, speedster, a little bit small on the small end, but but explosive and and can can be used in, in multiple uh, alignments. Use him, you know, in that jet motion sweep, uh, get him open on screens and, and let him make big plays. Love it, love it again. Again, we said it wasn't a big class at the top because it's not. There aren't a lot of big names at the top. You know, where we had Drake London, Chris Olave, uh, Garrett Wilson last year. We we don't really have that. But I think this class has some nice depth when you get into day two. And there's going to even be some guys like Jonathan Mingo might go day three, who's going to, I think, be be a pretty decent player. And, you know, so we have to mention guys like A.T. Perry out of Wake Forest. We have to mention guys out of Rashi Rice out of SMU. Like, so there are some really good dudes who are going to contribute. But now, I mean, but now we got a top five, Devin. We got a top five. So start with us out. Five for you. Number five for me is uh, last year's Belinkatoff winner, uh, Jordan Addison from USC. Um, for me, it was very difficult between him and Jalen Hyatt because I think Hyatt probably, I don't want to say it makes the more immediate impact, but I think he's probably going to make bigger plays as a rookie than than Addison made uh, early on. Uh, but, but I really like Addison, and I thought him – being in the slot a little bit more kind of helped him round out his game a little bit from Pitt. He was a main guy at Pitt. And honestly, I kind of like his Pitt tape a little bit better. I think just with the playmaking ability of Caleb Williams and just how much superstar power he has, Addison wasn't always the most involved in games, but he did make an impact uh, with the Trojans. I really like his ability to uh, change direction and flip his hips. Uh, he's able to create that separation that I look for at the top of routes. Didn't think he handled physicality well. Um, Clark Phillip, Clark Phillips from Utah really, really got into him and was able to really make his life difficult, which it's not a, a great sign to see. I think, I mean, obviously Phillip is going to, Phillips is going to be a, a great corner at the next level, but I wanted to see him handle physicality better. Um, you know, I, I, I like his uh, ability to catch with his hands. Uh, I think, you know, while he possesses like a decent size, you know, he's a good size receiver. I thought he could attack the ball a little bit better while it's in the air. Um, And and just in those situations where he's not creating separation, I wanted to see a little bit more from him, Uh, you know, especially with the game on the line. I felt like he 
was a little overshadowed this year. There were times where he kind of disappeared on film, which, you know, it, it it's okay. But with me, you had Caleb Williams, but I wanted to see him stand out a little bit more. Uh, but, but Addison is number five for me. I think he's a really good receiver. I think you're going to have that inside out uh, versatility with him, but I want to see him handle uh, press coverage a little bit better because uh, he, he did get bullied a little bit. Yeah, that's going to be a theme when we talk about all these receivers for the most part. But Addison was actually number six, very close to the number five for me. But uh, Addison's number six for, for a lot of those reasons. For me, when it comes down to Jordan Addison is like, I think he's slippery after the catch. So he's got a, a, a decent amount of yak ability, but like, is there a trait that stands out when you, when somebody says Jordan Addison, is there one thing in your mind that pops out? And it's like, he does this really well. Honestly, no, I think he's very good at a lot of things, but there's no trump card. You know, a lot of people talk about with those receivers, what is their trump card? You know, and like, for instance, Justin Jefferson at the top of routes, he's, he's absolutely creative and, and just, devastating uh couple of the physicality with addison you you don't have a go-to trade with him so i definitely understand why he may not be in people's top fives but but for me i think he did enough to crack that top five plus you think about what he did at pit as well mm-hmm. i know you want to focus on what he's done for me lately but but also he, he put us a really good film at pit yeah, I, I hear what you're saying about 2021 because, I mean, when we get to the top of my list, that's we're, we're going to get into that a little bit. But number five for me is actually Jalen Hyatt. So uh, you're a little bit lower on Hyatt than I am. Uh, game-breaking speed. He's going to run in the four threes, maybe even high four twos uh, at the combine. Unbelievably game, un- unbelievable game-breaking speed. But I think he has a really good throttle, too. So it's not just one speed. Uh, the way, like, like, Anthony Schwartz drafted to the Cleveland Browns out of Auburn. When like that's also game breaking speed, but that's very linear, stiff, one shift, all speed, like which makes it really hard to change directions. It makes it really like makes it really hard to manipulate defensive backs hips if you don't have that ability to to throttle up or throttle down to to keep DBs on their heels a little bit. But Hyatt has that. Um, he has that throttle. So I, I really do like Hyatt's game. He, and so I think he gets in and out of breaks a little bit better than you expect somebody to with that kind of speed. Um, he's not as stiff. Uh, again, they'll feed him manufactured touches. He's going to demand manufactured touches at the next level. Um, so he can win both horizontally and vertically. So, uh, again, Jalen Hyatt, man, uh, unbelievable production. Uh, obviously, Blitnikoff winner. You can argue that Marvin Harrison Jr. should have won it all you want, but it was, it was given to Jalen Hyatt. So, um, I'm sitting with Hyatt at five. Um, because again, I think his ability to one accelerate zero to hundred, but then be able to also in and out of that is makes him a really dynamic threat. Yeah, definitely understand. Like I said, Hyatt was uh, a close uh, number six to me. It, it, they're very, I mean, it's like half a point that they're separated by. So mm-hmm. they are very two play two players I could see, you know, really going in that similar range, uh, if not Hyatt, I mean, Hyatt could blow the combine out of the water and then be the first receiver off the board. So I wouldn't be surprised at that either. Uh, transition number four for me is Keishon Boutte out of LSU. Um, and it is very, very difficult to kind of like get that 2020 film out of your mind from Boutte because it was so dominant and just out of this world. And you expected him to be the first receiver off the board. And it's probably not happening uh, at this point in development. But um, to me, he, he, he's a physical guy. Um, he used a guy using the slot a little bit more this year. Um, and, and really came on strong towards the end of the season. You know, the early season, everyone knows well-documented. The Florida State game, he struggled. Uh, I think that it's very clear that he struggled in that game and struggled early in the season. But like games against like Florida, uh, the Bama game, um, the Georgia SEC title game. You saw that ability to get loose after the catch, be a game breaker. Um, you know, someone that with the ball in his hands, he can create things. And it felt like over the course of the season, got more and more comfortable in the new offense and with Jaden Daniels. Um, what I want to see more though from him is you want to see those moments where he shows he's the best player on, on the field. I, and I just think it really comes down to, that mentality, uh, the drops were a bit of an issue this year. You didn't see him always concentrate at the catch point. Um, 
and and just really disengaging uh you know the defenders down uh, down the field you want to see a little bit more uh of from him too uh but but I think he he's a really good player that's going to have to answer some questions some some off field things um and I think it's going to be important during this draft process cuz I mean he has first round talent but does he consistently show it? He doesn't. And that's that's the reason he's number four on my list right now. I can dig it. He's he's going to come up for me a little bit, a little bit higher. Um, but for me, this is weird because he's four on my list. But personally, I think I love him and I love his fit in a variety of offenses coming up for me right now. Uh, North Carolina's Josh Downs, man. Um, again, when we talk about we talked about throttle a little bit with with Jalen uh, Hyatt, but. I don't know. I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigwa has unbelievable body control, but like body control in a way of being in control of every single movement and every single movement has a purpose when you're running routes or uh, when you have the football in your hands. And and that's what comes to mind for me with, uh, with Josh Downs. Um, again, I think Josh Downs, I don't think he's overly confident in his hands. Um, I've seen some things where he, he tends to leave his feet when he's tracking the deep uh, that kind of comes. And I'm like, uh, you know, that, that, that could be a little bit better because when you leave, your, you tend to expose your frame. You tend to expose your a little bit. Um, but he's a dynamic, dynamic athlete who evolved from almost exclusively a slot slash manufactured touch guy with Sam Howell in 2020 and 2021 to a guy who can win, ver- well, he won vertically, but a guy who can win outside the numbers, played a much higher percentage of snaps outside the numbers uh, this year. Um Showed a little bit to be press man, uh, nuanced his route tree a little bit as well. Um, and again, another with, with Drake May's unbelievable season, another very productive season. Um, just an unbelievably slippery dude with the football in his hands. Uh, unbelievably agile. Um, so Josh Downs is, is just a game breaking playmaker. Uh, anytime he touches the football, uh, has the potential to, to, to break a game open. So, um, again, he's very slim as well. I'd be shocked if he's 175 pounds that he's listed at would be shocked. Uh, so there's physicality issues with his game as well, but um, Josh Downs, man, I love his game. I think he is, he's my number three guy. And I think he is probably the second best natural separator of this top five list. In my opinion, if not the first, I mean, I think he's really pushing, uh, and we'll get to a little bit later than the number one receiver. Um, but there was a play against Notre Dame. He ran a uh, fades, uh, a wheel fade route, right? And balls in the air, does a crossover move, shakes a defender, goes up vertically and catches the ball. That's why I was sold on his ability. Um, there's just so much slip. And in that same game, he hit a whip route that was just, like he got li- literally parallel to the ground. So there's no questions about his flexibility, his uh, wiggle at the top of routes. I mean, he, he really has kind of that modern set where, sure, he's not the biggest guy. Size is going to be a, a, an issue probably when evaluating him uh, and how NFL teams evaluate him. But like you said, the game-breaking speed and, and just the creativity. I'm a sucker for receivers who can create uh, before they get the ball. You know, like they mm-hmm. they're they just have that advanced nuanced ability where they can break down a defender before they get the ball, catch it and go. And that's what he can do. Um, but like you said, the the physicality concerns is going to be there. Um, the size as, as well and durability um, and, and just how he attacks the football. I think he could do a little bit better, but he made some tough catches this year and he was clearly the 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 best playmaker on the field when he was on the field for North Carolina suddenness man he's i would say he's the most sudden route runner in this class uh, and what that does when he has the body control that he can work every movement this and when he's as sudden as he ends as he is that creates blind spots uh again i go back to garrett garrett wilson is the master of creating blind spots for me like last year unbelievable ability not only to create them but like it looked like the game was moving very slow for him where he, as the moment he he created a blind spot, that next step was, was going into that blind spot. I see a little bit of the same thing with Josh Downs because he's so sudden and he knows how to manipulate defensive backs movements and hips to kind of create those, those pockets where DBs can't see him. Uh, and that creates separation and separation is king. Um, 
Going on to number three for me. Uh, this is going to be, it's going to sound hot takey because he's, he's a lot of people's consensus as wide, wide receiver one. He's playing in the national championship. Uh, had an unbelievable touchdown catch and run against Michigan this past weekend. But Quentin Johnston, man, uh, is number three for me. Um, I will give him the credit that uh, I could see the pathway. I, I see the pathway from him being the first receiver off the board because he's one of maybe three guys who's a, a true X receiver who's a true X, who has shown they can beat press man, uh, who's shown they can win vertically, contested catch situations, um, massive frame at 6'2", massive catch radius. But my gripe with Quentin Johnson is he has this massive catch radius and he doesn't use it. I don't think he's he's very aggressive at attacking the football. Uh, I think he he body catches a lot, unnecessarily, like unnecessarily a lot. Uh, I saw a lot of double catches on his tape. I don't think he has the most confident hands in the world. Um, and again, as much as he can win vertically, and he can win vertically, he can run at his size too. He's very fast. Um, so he's a big play waiting to happen, and, and, and that's going to be really appealing for people uh, the same way it's going to be really appealing with Jalen Hyatt, uh, even though Quentin Johnson's huge. Um, but separating underneath, I don't think he's super refined working release packages off the line of scrimmage. I don't think when he's trying to sell vertically to the, to create a pocket to, to get underneath, I don't think he sells vertically off the line of scrimmage particularly well. And so it makes it really difficult on him to to separate underneath. And I think that came up, there's a rep then, you know, that's making waves on the internet against DJ Turner, where DJ Turner has no issues just sinking into his hip pocket on the slant route. So um, I, I wish he were more refined offline of scrimmage. Again, when it comes to his hands though, when he's fighting press, I think he hand fights at a high level. I think he hand swipes at a high level. I think he knows how to create pockets of separation at the top of his routes um, with a little, you know, savvy chicken wing or whatever. So I think his hands in, in that regard are, are great uh, in creating separation, but I wish he were a little better off the line of scrimmage. Um, and I wish he were a little more confident in his hands and his ability to use the massive catch radius that he's been gifted with. Yep. Yep. Uh, I was nodding my head the, in, the entire time. Uh, Cause right before we started recording, I finished the one last game of the K-State uh, big 12 championship game. And you talk about DJ Turner being in his hip pocket. I mean, Julius Brents was in his hip pocket a lot of that game, especially on those short routes. And for me, I think it comes like I think it comes down to like he is he's used to being the best, the biggest and best athlete on the field, like on that perimeter, right, where he can outrun dudes. And you know, he, he just that natural ability uh, to create that space, but then. When you got dudes that are not afraid of him that can get in his hip pocket or physical, uh, especially on those short routes, you just don't see enough selling. You know, like you said, like he kind of leans his body towards where he's going or where he's going to break. And I saw rep after rep where his body like leans to the left a little bit when he's going to cut back inside because uh, he lined up prim- primarily on the left side of the formation. To me, it's too much telegraphing with him in short routes. Like they know when it what route he's probably gonna run just based on kind of his his body position. You want to see him see him sink in his hips a little bit better, especially on those comebacks. It feels like he's just playing a little bit too high uh when in, in those comeback situations and curls. Uh but but I think he's a game breaker. He's my number two receiver because that, that game breaker ability is gonna be coveted by NFL teams. You know, him being able to win vertically. That's going to be a role in itself in the NFL, but you want to see him do a little bit more. And with the first, you're taking a first receiver off the board. You want him not only to be playing one role, you want him to use him all over the field. And he has some slot reps and he was able to to attack the seam. But like you said, I want to see him attack the ball better. Use that frame uh, that he's been giving, given um, box out defenders a little bit more too. I think you could do a little bit more of that too, um, especially over across the middle. I just felt like, that should be his like bread and butter, like attacking vertically, but over the middle of the field, they got to be able to go to you, man, because you have the frame to do it. But, but that was the only thing for me that I, I see his path to being the first year off the board. And I think the skill says there, but there just needs to be some refinement in his technique and, and kind of the mindset he plays with. Yeah. So I think we, we kind of see it similarly with, with Johnston. We see the pathway again, he's massive, Real X potential in a class where a lot of these guys at the top are slots. Um, but, but again, we're going to transition to my number two now. And again, you talked a lot about Addison's 2021 tape. 
Uh, and, and so my number two and my number one are both guys who put out pretty dominant 2021 tape, uh, and might not have had the, the best 2022 tape, but, but my number two is, is Keishan Boutte. Uh, and you hit on it, uh, really inconsistent season coaching turnover, uh, with, with, um, with Kelly coming in, um, Jaden Daniels coming in a new quarterback. Um, but man, again, you mentioned it, his best games of the season though, were against Florida were against Alabama were against Georgia. So like as inconsistent as the season was, and as, as much as we wanted that step forward, he still put his own foot forward in those better games. And, and, uh, in those games, it was still the same bootay like that, the catch and run against Georgia. He's ultra elusive in the open field and, and he's got true four, four speed. So, uh, I, I think he he runs a pretty full route tree as well. I think he's a really fluid mover. Um, I can see the issue where uh, some team might view him as exclusively a slot because, again, I, I don't think he's also uh, built for much physicality like a lot of these guys we've mentioned. Uh, I do think he has a little bit of a false step off the line of scrimmage, some refinement in that regard, but uh, he's an easy glider when he's working vertically, can can separate really easily down the field. Um Again, I mentioned a, a true, true full route tree uh, as, as far as tracking the football down the field and along the boundary. I mean, that 21, 2020 or 2021 tape where he makes that catch in like between three defenders in the corner of the end, the corner of the end zone is just leaveable. And again, slippery on his hands after the catch. So um, I can't overlook that 2021 tape and I can't overlook who his best games were against in 2022 as up and down as 2022 has been. Again, he's going to have to answer for some things. There are some, there's some stuff out there right now about Keishan Butte, uh and his decision to, to declare after saying he's going back to school, but on the field, I, I, I it's undeniable, man. Butte is either going to be, I feel like he's the George Pickens of this class where he's either going to be a pro bowler or he's going to be out of the league in like three years. Um, so, but, but I got to go with it. And people had George Pickens as the wide receiver one last year and I get it. Um, but that's where I'm at with Butte, man. That's where I'm at with Butte. It's crazy that it feels like there's always that one, there's one or two guys, every, every receiver class they are like, they didn't put out the best film on their latest, uh, season, but they're, Still, still in that conversation as one of the top receivers off the board. You think a couple of years ago, Jamar Chase didn't play the entire 2020 season, but he's still a top five pick. Um, you think about last year, George Pickens, a guy that didn't really play until the end of the season. You know, he, he came back for that national championship run, really had his first big play in the SEC championship game. Um, no, no, that might have been a natty, um, where he had, he had that diving catch against, uh, Alabama. So, Butte, he, he's put together, like you said, the, the the games that he played well were the biggest games of their years of the year, and and he certainly left a a really really nice game with, against Georgia as his final game. Obviously, he didn't play against Purdue in the uh, Citrus Bowl. So, kind of that that theme we talked about earlier in the show that the you know players are leaving their best games, uh, you know, on tape in their final game. So. Might not be the same for our wide receiver one. Uh, as we get get into that now, Jackson Smith and Jigba is wide receiver one for for both of us. Um, and this this was incredibly tough because you essentially have to go off the twenty twenty one tape for Njigba because uh, he he got hurt against Notre Dame and didn't really really play sparingly, and and maybe consider getting coming back for the playoff, but ultimately didn't. Uh, went ahead and declared. But man, I I mean, when you talk about separators, the creativity at the top of the route, um, and uh, the ability to to threaten vertically, um, he really kind of checks those boxes. And I know people are gonna worry about okay, what so with the durability, he didn't play this year hardly this year. To me, he showed so much in twenty twenty one that is undeniable that he, it, it can it can be replicated in the league. I understand he was playing alongside, you know, Olave and Wilson, but Rose Bowl he didn't have those guys, and he went off against a, a really good Utah secondary. Um, and and it's just undeniable, man. I'm 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 a big fan of Smith and Jigba. 
doesn't have the the best size. You know, there's going to be concerns about durability, concerns about the ability to be pressed. But when he's on the field and healthy, and and he he does so many good things at the catch point, does so many good things uh, in the condensed space. He owns the middle of the field. I there's just so much I can rave about in this game that are just pluses. And look, I, I get it. Another typical, mostly slot guy, but to me, he he can handle. I I think, and this is projected a little bit, but I think he can handle some of the physicality that you give him um, at the line of scrimmage because I, I see what the way he releases off the football, the creativity at the top of the route. I know he didn't get asked to do it a ton at Ohio State, but I I believe there's there there's uh, evidence in his game that he can do it for sure. Yeah. Yep. Jackson Smith and Jake, my wide receiver one, man. Like it sucks that we didn't get to see him getting hurt in that first game of the year. He tried to get it out, get it out against Toledo. He tried to get it out against Iowa. Uh, it just stinks that we didn't get to see that 2022 body of work, but um, it's going to be tough to see him win outside the numbers. Cause again, we haven't seen that um, all the things you mentioned, but as in terms of body control, very, very fluid dude who is in like well aware of the boundary uh, well aware of his own body movement to to throttle up, throttle down, just in complete control of the, of his movements, tracks the ball so well. Uh, and for only a slot, he he commands every level of the field. Still, like his route tree commands every level of the field. Um, he's got plucky hands. Um, so I mean, again, he's he's not the fastest guy. He's probably going to run a four five five, four five seven, something like that. I don't I don't think he's going to break four five. Um, but that's okay when when you're in complete control of your movements and when you uh, can throttle like you can throttle. So um, it's, it's, it's always weird when you're trying to comp somebody to a dude who just set a record or almost like set a record a year ago, but like the way that Cooper cup wins for the Rams, like I see a lot of that in, in Jackson Smith and Chippa. Um He's going to command a role. He's going to command manufactured touches. He's going to command touches. Like, that's what it comes down to. Like whoever he lands with is going to know that this dude is going to get touches. Um, I, I know we don't have that body work in 2022, but I'm okay with that. Like this is wide receiver one. Yeah. You also can bet on who he was coached by. He's coached by the best in the business in Brian Hartline. I mean, the, the look, the proof is in, in the pudding, man. I mean, you look at Chris Olave and, and Garrett Wilson, they are the top two, rookie receivers right now and it it is uh, you know a obviously their skill set on their own uh you know warranted that but the coaching of brian hartline he really really pushes these guys and to me like he pushed all the right buttons with smith and jig but the only thing that you know obviously the health is a big thing but they still talk about this dude they talked about him even when they didn't have him for the semifinal game they didn't have him down the stretch against michigan they said if I guarantee you ask any of the Ohio State receivers on currently on a roster, if they had Smith and Jigba, they probably win those games. And and I think that speaks to what he brings. Because if you think about what Marvin Harrison Jr. is able to do this year and what he's gonna do next year when uh, you know, he's the number one guy who's he's already kind of taken over that role. Just imagine what he did this year and that you had Smith and Jigba next to him. And just how much that offense would be literally unstoppable. I, I, you, you can only say what it was at this point, but to me, I'm, I'm betting on a guy that is coached by the best of the business that can separate at all levels of the field. Um, fluid mover. I mean, there to me, the only thing you can really knock on him, uh, really this year, obviously, is is the health. But fully healthy, I'm, I'm betting on Smith and Jigba. Yep, we're in complete, complete agreement. Again, refinement, 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 and this dude is refined, so refined. So, again, uh, Garrett Wilson in 21 played in the slot like 80% of the time and then played almost exclusively outside the numbers. I wonder if we would have gotten that same thing. Obviously, Marvin Harrison Jr. was going to play outside, um, but I wonder if we would have gotten a lot more of Smith & Jake outside the numbers and those opportunities press that we have. It just thinks we don't get those. Um but yeah, if I'm betting on dude, I'm betting on Smith and Jigba. That's not changing. That's not changing. How how here's what I, I, I come back to is how can we 
go from a guy who was getting mocked top five to like, oh, is he even a first rounder now in 2022 just because he didn't play? Like the 2021 tape is still there. It's still really freaking good. So that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. Yeah, to me, I feel like he's going to go first round, you know, assuming one, he gets back fully healthy and two, he's like able to go through like his pro day or something uh, mm-hmm. or, or maybe the combine. I think he's going to solidify that because all they're going to do is they're going to call up Brian Hartline and ask about this dude's work ethic. They're going to ask about how he, his game has grown, what he saw from him, what they saw from him leading up to the season. And they're going to know that this is a playmaker. He's a difference maker. And I think that is the biggest vouch you can, can ask for out of a, a guy that probably should be coaching NFL receivers right now in Brian Hartline. I'm surprised that they haven't plugged him yet. Um, but I, I know for a fact, uh, that they're, they're going to rave about him. And to me, I think it speaks volumes. And it's the final point I got on Smith and Jigba. It speaks volumes that he still tried to give come back. Most dudes would just say, look, I'm probably going to go first round. You know, I'm, I can opt out and, and call it a day. Saw Jamar Chase do it. And, some other players do in, in twenty the 2021 draft, Panay Sewell. Mm-hmm. Um, but he tried to come back, and he was very close to to getting back to to where he was supposed to be, but, you know, just didn't – ran out of time. So I, I think that's the final point I want to make on that. Yep, we're in complete agreement there. So, again, uh, my five were Hyatt, Downs, Johnston, Boutte, and Smith and Jigba, and Devins were – it was uh, at five was Addison, four was Boutte, three downs, two Johnston, and then one Smith and Jabo. I love it. I love it. Again, we'll just keep chopping away. Uh, again, we'll be able to talk about the national championship a little bit next week. Uh, but that's it, man. That's it for college football in, in this season. I almost said 2022, but it's already 2023. But that's it for college football in, in this season. So uh, after next week, we're full-time draft. Uh, next thing we're looking forward to is the combine then, which is – wild uh but it's the best time of the year uh and I, i'm ready for it so uh devin before we go do you got anything else for us nah just uh make sure to uh check out our interview with jordan reed uh which is coming right after this um and and really a, a great time with with such a great human being and, and someone that we both really respect in this business so uh make sure to check out uh this interview with jordan reed uh Appreciate his time and, and gives great insight on uh, scouting, how he got started and, and some tips uh, and some rapid fire at the end uh, of the episode. All right. And now we are joined by ESPN's Jordan Reed. Jordan, we followed you for a long time, you know, uh, well before even the Draft Network, but obviously the Draft Network with ESPN. So uh, welcome to the show, Jordan. We're happy to have you. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on. It's a pleasure being here. Yeah, for sure. So Jordan, before we dive into to actual football stuff, we want to to get to know you and we want our listeners to get to know you. So uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you uh, developed this love for for player evaluation, for scouting and, and for for content creation revolving around that. Yeah, so I'll start all the way from the beginning. So basketball was really my first love. That was the first type of sport that my dad and my mom really introduced me to. And I started when I was like four or five years old. So I was a basketball kid for the most part growing up. And I actually got tricked into playing football when I was nine years old. So my dad, he told me that we were going to the park to shoot some hoops. But it ended up being football tryouts. I did not know that until I got there. So my dad didn't think I was tough enough. So he thought I was that guy that was just, you know, complaining about fouls every time I drove to the basket. So he just felt as if I wasn't tough enough. So he signed me up. Uh, when we went to the park that day and it ended up being a blessing in disguise for me. So uh, the first day or actually the first practice that I had back when I was playing Pop Warner, I just pick the ball up and I throw it to the coach. He's standing like 20 or 25 yards away and I throw it like way over his head. And he's like, man, did you mean to do that? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I was just trying to throw it to you. So he told me to back up like five or 10 more yards and I ended up throwing over his head again. And he was like, okay, I think I found my quarterback. So <laughs> I ended up playing quarterback Pop Warner. Um, that's the only position that I've ever played and it ended up being a blessing for me. So football is something that I kind of gravitated towards after that day, after that sign-up day at the park. And, you know, football has done so much for me. Uh, I've had the pleasure of playing at every single level outside of the NFL level. 
Um, I played high school, of course. Um, college, I ended up playing at North Carolina Central University, small FCS school. Um, some people may have seen them on ESPN this year. They just beat Jackson State in the Celebration Bowl, which is a huge accomplishment for my alma mater. Ended up playing there for four years, um, starting for three, and then I got into college coaching right after that. I didn't have any pro aspirations, <clears throat> excuse me, just because those hits add up at the time, and I just got tired of taking them. Um, so I just wanted to get right into coaching. I was that kid that always wanted to be, uh, you know, that, that head coach and then eventually transitioned into being an athletic director. That was always the plan. But as you guys know, um, that plan that we map out when we're 13, 14 years old and then through high school, it doesn't always end up working out that way. So what happened with me was in 2018, we ended up being let go, unfortunately, uh, just because that's what happens with college coaching. There's just no job security, as you guys know. So something that I always did when I was younger, even when I was in high school and even during my playing days, is that I kept a blog. And I was a big blogger. Um, I wrote down everything. Like if a big trade happened, I would jot down my thoughts initially. And then I got the confidence enough to actually publish it. Uh, I got the confidence enough to start publishing things. And then that's where I kind of started to get noticed uh, back in 2018. That's when I, I, I was a website called like blogger.com or something like that. I don't even know if it even exists anymore. So um, something that I always did love when I was growing up is that I just loved finding out like the backstories of athletes, whether it was basketball, football or anything like that. And then I just see this guy named Mel Kuyper on TV and how enthusiastic he is about the NFL draft. So I just sit down and watch it. I watch it from start to finish every single year. And I'm like, man, I just love the backstories and how enthusiastic he is about these guys and then making predictions about it. So just going a little bit back to my roots, I wanted to figure out how to make a career out of it just because my next move, I wanted to make sure it was something that I had that, that I had my full heart into uh, just because I've always been around sports and being an athlete growing up. I just couldn't imagine my life without sports. So I figured, why not? Let's make a career out of it. So I freelanced for about a year. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity with the Draft Network. Uh, they noticed some of my work, and that really was my first opportunity from a paid standpoint. And then it just took off from there. Yeah, that, that's that's awesome, Jordan. Um, and and you know, you talked a little bit about watching Mel Kiper, uh, you know, following the draft, and now you get a chance to to work with him. What's that been like, or what's your experience been like at ESPN now that you transition over there and? Uh, you know, we see you traveling at games and, and you know, being at uh, big events. So so what what's kind of that transition been for you uh, now working at ESPN and, and covering the draft? It's not work, man. That's what I tell everybody. Like, I'm living the dream. I've been around football all of my life. And there's just sometimes where I have to be like, man, like I'm getting paid to watch football for a living. That's something that I could never even dream of when I was growing up. And, you know, draft analysts is something that's kind of gotten popular over the past decade or so. Now the industry is really saturated. It seems like everybody's trying to be an analyst or just have some type of opinion. But back when I got started, I think it was in 2017, uh, that's really when I started kind of like press the gas forward with everything, um, just seeing Mel on TV. And then my first conversation with Mel, it's kind of like, you know, I was talking to Michael Jordan, like everybody has a favorite athlete or musician growing up. But Mel Kuyper was like Michael Jordan to me. So when his name popped up, when he called me the first day that I was hired, like I couldn't believe it when it popped up, <laughs> when Mel's name popped up. And we, I mean, our first conversation was like two hours long just because I didn't want it to end. Um, like I said, it was like talking to Michael Jordan and he's taking me all the way back to like he was going on about, I think it was like the 83 or 84 Baltimore Colts or something like that. So he was talking about that for like an hour. And then somehow we got on LeVar Arrington and it is fun. Mel's a great guy, man. Like the same guy you see on TV, he's the same way on the phone. He talks exactly the same. So uh, it's a really cool opportunity working with him, Todd McShay, and then also Matt Miller too. Yeah. Love it. I love it. So <clears throat> as you discussed, like your journey is, is the journey that you said the, the market's gotten really saturated. I know uh, I came up through my own blog and then to fan side and then sports illustrated and, uh, 24 seven. And now I'm at USA today and Devin, you know, from blue chip scouting to the inquiry, like Billy inquire and where he's at. So there's a lot of people who have a, a very similar path. So for people who are like us, we're, we're still, you know, very down there. And, and for people who are, uh, wanting to break into the NFL draft content creation, player evaluation scene, what would you say are, are three tips or three words of advice you, you'd give for people kind of starting out? Oh, well, the first one I would say is a process. Um, everybody wants to be 
Daniel Jeremiah or Amel Kuyper right away, and it's just, it just doesn't work out like that. Those guys paid their dues. Um, I mean, it took, what, DJ 10 to 12 years to get to where he is now, and he had a run through the league, and Mel's the godfather. Uh, he's been doing this since, what, I think like 1984 or something like that. So just understand that it's a process, and it's not going to happen overnight. I mean, I'll just pull, peel the curtain back, pull the curtain back a little bit on my process. Like my first time ever writing up a prospect was watching Laquan Treadwell highlights on YouTube. So that just goes to show you the show, like where I started, just understanding this a process. The next one I would say is just understand or try to find what your niche is. And what what I mean by your niche is, is it podcasting? Uh, is it writing reports? Um, is it sharing YouTube videos, breaking down prospects? Just understand and try to find what your niche is. And if you want to have or if you want to explore all of those avenues, go for it. And what I tell everybody is that anybody can fire off tweets about a prospect get your face on camera and let other people see you explaining what you mean. Just because we live in a society that nobody reads anymore. Nobody's going to sit down and write, or read a scouting report. That's a page or two long, but if you have a minute or a minute and 15 long video explaining why Will Anderson used this technique against Darnell Wright, people are going to start to understand you a little bit more. So I think those are really my two biggest ones, just finding your avenue or your niche and then just understanding that it's going to be a process. Yeah, absolutely. I I think those are are, are great words of advice for sure. And uh, something that that I've kind of dipped my toe into. And um, I know you you did that quite a bit, you know, while you're at the draft network and and now you're at the ESPN covering uh, all the draft Um, for you. um, When when you kind of think about your journey and and where you want to get to, uh, you know, what's kind of been the the thing for you that has stuck out most about your journey, your personal journey? that you know you would like to share or that you kind of reflect on uh really or have reflected on the last few months and that's a really good question um the biggest thing that i would say is um networking is a big one um go to these events go to the senior bowl go to east west shrine if you have the means to do all of those things um go to some of these games whether it's just you in the in the stands as a fan or you know, if you can meet some of these guys in person, just because what really helped me out was just developing relationships. And when I was a coach, we were blessed enough to have some kids that were able to go on to play at the next level. But what I always did was whenever a scout came through the building, I would ask for their business card and I would exchange information with them just because I knew that eventually I wanted to either work in the NFL as a coach or figure out how to be a scout. So just understanding and developing those relationships. And I still and friends with tons of those guys uh, to this day. Some of those guys have gone on to be some some higher-up positions. Uh, and then also, when you go to the combine, just put your face in front of these people just because you can go back and forth with somebody on Twitter, whether it's in the DMs or something like that. But, <clears throat> excuse me, you can – somebody's going to pay more attention to you when you see them face-to-face just because the interaction is different. Um, the time consumption is different too as well. So just developing relationships – whether that's going to games or going to certain events, just because at all of these events, this is what I love about the draft community is that it's very rare that you're going to see, you know, Jerry Jones walking past you in the lobby, Bill Belichick walking past you in the lobby or somebody like that. Just being able to see all these people, these important people in one place, you can put yourself in that position as far as in their face. No regular is just going to be able to walk down the street of Mobile, Alabama and see some of these guys uh, in a regular setting. So just networking is big. And then not just meeting those people, but following up with them and staying in touch with them too. Uh, Jordan, I don't know if you remember this. It was in Mobile three years ago. I actually sat down right next to you in the film room in Mobile. And uh, we were watching practice and I was sitting right next mm-hmm. to you. And we were you you kept rewinding off the snap. And I was like, what is he doing? Like literally just the snap and you rewind, <laughs> the snap and rewind. And so I asked you, I was like, Jordan, what are you, what are you watching? And it was Lloyd Cushenberry. You're like, I'm watching his eyes. You know, the, 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 the play is going this way. So why are his eyes here? Like right off the snap. It doesn't make any sense to me. So just that day, I learned a little bit of a nuance from you. And I don't know. If, I don't even know if you remember that at all. But um, no, I don't. <laughs> in, in 2020, but I, it's something that sticks with me. And I was like, what is he doing? Just like you would watch the snap and re- watch the snap mm-hmm. and rewind. Um, so that's just a, a real way to tie that all together. Let's jump into a little bit of ball now, uh, a little bit of ball. You know, we are nearing the end of, of the college football season and almost a full head head dive into uh, full-time draft stuff. So 
Uh, why don't you, you tell us, you know, three sleepers that you've really appreciated their their tape uh, this season that that aren't at the top of the list. They're not first rounders, but they're guys that you say you say this guy's going to have a really long and, and successful career, even if he's not a, a well known guy at this point. Oh man, uh, you're limiting me to three. I have a lot. Um, the first one that I like, and I just wrapped up his report. I think it was yesterday. Um, Jartavius Martin. He's a safety from Illinois. Uh, I like him a lot. Weatherspoon gets a lot of love, and rightfully so. He's a really good player. But just the experience that Jartavius Martin has, he's played corner. He's played nickel. He played predominantly free safety for them this year. He has the ball skills that you love. He's super aggressive. He can blitz. And he just continues to check so many boxes. Now, I think he's probably going to go probably late day two, early day three, probably that third or fourth round range. But I think somebody's going to get a really good starter in him. So he's one that definitely popped on tape. Um, two running backs that I like, Israel Banacanda, running back from Pitt. He had the game earlier this year. I think he broke like Tony Dorsett's record and had like six touchdowns in that game. I think he's gonna be a, he's gonna be a really good what I like to call one B rusher. So he's gonna have to be with he's gonna have to be paired with more of a power back. But I could see him turning out to not saying he's gonna be as good as this guy, but a similar role to like a Tony Pollard. I could see him turning out to be that kind of player. Dwayne McBride, a running back from UAB. Uh, he's another one that really popped on tape. Now, he doesn't have any receiving production. That's not to say that he can't do it. Uh, he, he just wasn't asked to do that in UAB's offense. So um, I really like what he showed on tape. Um, and then the last one that I'll give you is Raheem Jarrett. He's a wide receiver from Maryland. Um, I really liked him a lot. I actually was able to see him live against UNC Charlotte. Rocked up build. Uh, he's about 5'10", 180, I had to guess right now. Uh, but really strong hands. I really like how Mike Loxley used him. This year, he used them a lot on jet sweeps, let them man the slot for the most part. But um, I think they kind of did him a disservice a little bit. I think he he can do a little bit more than what they were showcasing. So I, I think he's going to be a really good slot receiver in the next level, though. I love it. And, and he, yeah, he did show against that that Ohio State tape, too, to kind of push the field a little bit, which yeah. was which was kind of rare in 2022. Because I, I, I wrote him up in 2021, wrote an article on him. I, I like that. So that, those are some good names. Jordan, I'm well aware of the time. If we can get you out of here on some just rapid fire questions, you know, first, first thing that comes to your mind when we run through these things, uh, that, that'd be a great way to, to wrap up. Uh, so the first one is the top offensive tackle in the 2023 NFL class is. Oh man. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go with Peter Skaronsky just because I feel good about him. He's played all five positions during his time at Northwestern. I mean, it's going to be cliche. You guys know, is he a tackle or is he a guard? We had the same debate with Rashawn Slater. I like Slater a little bit more, but I think Skaronsky can be a starter as a guard or a tackle. But don't be surprised if, you know, Paris Johnson is another candidate. Um, but don't be surprised if Project Jones starts to creep up the board a little bit too as far as being the first offensive tackle taken. Yeah, Project Jones. Next question. Yeah, I was going to say Project Jones has a, <laughs> had a great game against Ohio State. Got to see uh, that game in person, so I definitely – could see him uh, kind of jump up the board for sure. Next question, a surprising tackle who could sneak into round one. You just mentioned Broderick Jones, so that, that might knock that one out. Uh, there's two, Darnell Wright uh, from Tennessee. I think he's one. I think I had him at the back end of my mock today to Denver. I think that would be a really good spot for him. He had a really good year this year. I got to see him up close against South Carolina. He moved much better than what I thought he did then on tape, and that was the big thing about him. He lost some weight this year and his mobility got much better this year. I want to see him. uh, The senior bowl is going to be really key for him just because in that Tennessee offense, you know, Hooker got the ball out really quick. So he didn't have to sustain a lot in that offense. So I think at the senior bowl, we're going to be able to see him sustain a little bit more. Uh, Then another is Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse. I think he's another. uh, I'm not saying he's going to go first round, but I think he's going to creep up too once we see him at the senior bowl. And then he's going to test really well too. Love it. The trait that makes Brian Branch stand out among the other safeties is? Oh, physicality. I mean, I love that dude. He, he's one of my favorite prospects, pound for pound, in this draft class. And you saw it against Kansas State. I mean, he was unbelievable in that game. He did everything from a coverage standpoint. Um, he's physical as a run defender. He set the edge sometimes this year, which you rarely see as a safety. He's outstanding as a blitzer. I mean, it is like a car crash. Whoever that dude hits, they go flying back. So I like him a lot. And don't be surprised if some team drafts him to play free safety on the next level. I could see him um, having that type of effect. He's not just a nickel. I think that's something that he was just asked to do, that star position with Saban. But Saban raves about just how smart he is. And I think he can play free safety at the next level. So I think that highly of him. One G5 or FCS player you're pounding the table for on day three. 
Ooh, man, you guys put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to go with – this is a little bit of a sleeper, and then he's going to the senior bowl, but his name is Aubrey Miller from Jackson State. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw what James Houston is doing with the Detroit Lions. I think Aubrey Miller is more so of a stack linebacker as opposed to Houston. Uh, but he, it was, ever since he came over from Missouri, like he's been the engine of that defense. And besides that last game, Jackson State was only giving up, I think, like 11 or 12 points a game. Um, on average, which is phenomenal for the FCS level. But, I mean, he's outstanding as a blitzer. Um, He has really good eyes on the second level. He can read key diagnosis, step downhill. And then also um, the coverage thing, I think that's going to be the big thing with him. I think that's TBD as far as what we see at the Senior Bowl. Uh, I don't think he's ever going to be good at man coverage. He's a little bit tight with his hips. Uh, So he's going to have to hide him in zone a little bit. And then you're probably going to have to brush him off the edge a little bit too. But his physicality, his smarts, and then just just his vision as a run defender. Um, I think he probably could go maybe so in that fifth or sixth round range. Love it. The day three QB you'd bet on having the longest career? Oh, man. This is a great question. <laughs> um, ooh. You guys made me think about this one hard. <laughs> oh, I like DTR, even though he didn't play well uh, in the bowl game. Um, but one, if I had to bang the table for one, it'd be Jake Hayner mm-hmm. from Fresno State. Yeah. He just He's just so reminiscent of Taylor Heineke to me. Um, he's been so good in negative situations. Uh, he uplifted that offense. And I'll never forget the Oregon State, not from this year, but from 2021. That was one of my most favorite games that he ever played in. So I just see a lot of Heineke uh, with him. So um, Hayner would be the one that I would go with there. Last one was was good too. Yeah. Last one. Last one. Uh, The first defensive player in the the twenty twenty three NFL draft it should be Jalen Carter or Will Anderson. It just depends, honestly, as far as whether it's the Seahawks or the Bears. Um, If it's the Bears, I think they're going to go with Carter, just because. And I talked about this in my mock draft today. If you remember, the first, the very first signing that Ryan Poles tried to make was Larry Ogunjobi. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he failed the physical and ended up going elsewhere. So, and Iberflus has said, head coach Matt Iberflus has said that the three technique is like the engine of the defense. So I think if if the Bears end up getting the number two pick, I think they would go Carter. But if the Seahawks get it, uh, I think they probably would go uh, Will Anderson. So uh, if I was in a draft room, it's really tough. I don't think you could go wrong with either guy. Uh, but I would go with Carter just because of how strong the edge class is. I don't. I mean, I like the defensive tackle class, but I don't think there's another Jalen Carter type of player in this group. And that's not to say there's another edge that is similar to Will Anderson, but I don't think there's a precipitous drop-off um, at edge rusher like there is defensive tackle. Like, I can get Jalen Carter, um, and then I can come back and get somebody in the second round, like a B.J. Ojolari or somebody like that. So uh, as opposed to getting a Will Anderson, and then now you're talking about a bit of a drop-off to a Siaki Ika or a Javon Dexter or somebody like that. I love BJ Ojolari. That's a good place to, it's a good place to end. Jordan, uh, sorry we kept you a little bit long, but we really do appreciate you hopping on with us and, and taking some time out of your busy day to join us. Absolutely. Thank you guys as always. Thanks, Jordan.